Father God, thank you so much for um, this opportunity for us to be together on the most holiest of holidays, Lord. We are so grateful for everything that you have done for us, Lord. We are so grateful for the cross and everything that means. And we're so grateful that the tomb was empty. We're so grateful that you're alive within us, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would have your way in this place tonight and that you would just touch each person individually, God, with whatever it is that you have for them. Minister to them, Lord, and I pray that, um, that we just really sense your presence tonight, God. Thank you for who you are and the way that you show yourself faithful to us time and time again. In Jesus' mighty and holy risen name we pray, amen. Hey, everybody. It's so good to see you guys. Um, all right, let me get situated here. Um, oh, come to it. Come do it while I get situated. <laughs> On the way to the restroom, Brian Fenimore is here next week. Yay! That'll be awesome. I'm so proud of you for remembering that. That's fantastic. Yeah, I don't know what it is. Um, I think that, um, first of all, I'm a hand talker, so this is going to be very difficult for me to hold this close to my mouth. So if I start, okay, if I start doing this, just remind me not to do that. Yeah, everybody just start doing, no, I'm just kidding. That would be funny. Um, yeah, it hasn't felt like Easter to me this week, you guys. I don't know what it is. I don't know. Rachel and I were talking about, is it because it's later this year than usual? Or is it earlier? That I don't even know. Is it the same time of year as always? It, it's early. It feels weird. And, and I'm like, I don't know if it's because I've been out of town so much lately. I just got back this week, and it's just felt kind of hectic. But John asked me this morning, he's like, do you have um, Easter candy for us? <laughs> No, babe, I, I don't, but let me run out and take care of that. So we went to the store, and it was a crazy zoo. I don't know if anybody went to the store this weekend, but it was nuts with people shopping for all their Easter baskets and their Easter dinner and everything else. So um, we barely stayed saved through that whole thing today. Um, John went in with me, which should never happen, and he gets in the grocery store, and he just is like, oh, bright lights pretty food, candy. And so he was pushing the cart and I just separated from him because it was so crowded. I couldn't get through the aisles with the cart. So he was hanging with the cart and I was walking around trying to get the candy for Evan's basket. And um, finally I got some stuff and put it in the basket and came back and I was like, let me get one more thing. And I went looking for it and I came back after a while and John's like, you've been gone this whole time and you got that one thing. And I'm like, listen, this is the thing that Evan really wants. This is really important. But yeah, it was just, it was nuts. So um, Easter was in full effect at the grocery store today. So when Paula asked me um, earlier this week if I would fill in for her, I got with the Lord and was like, okay, you know, what about the Easter message do you, do you want me to share? What do you want me to focus on? And it, right away he took me um, to the scriptures he wanted me to talk about. But honestly, he didn't really tell me anything that I was going to talk about until like right before we came. So I'm going to try really hard to uh, stick to my notes here, but it's in Luke chapter 24, if you have your Bibles. We're going to be in Luke chapter 24. And what's going on here is um, it's after the crucifixion. It's after 
they have placed Jesus in the tomb, and the tomb has been sealed. Okay, so Friday he was crucified, and, and Saturday was the Sabbath. And now it is very early Sunday morning, and we're going to pick up in Luke 24. Very early that Sunday morning, the women made their way to the tomb carrying the spices they had prepared. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary, Jesus' mother. Arriving at the tomb, they discovered that the huge stone covering the entrance had been rolled aside. So they went in to look, but the tomb was empty. The body of Jesus was gone. There they stood, stunned and perplexed. Suddenly, two men in dazzling white robes, shining like lightning, appeared above them. Terrified, the women fell to the ground on their faces. The men in white said to them, Why would you look for the living one in a tomb? He is not here, for he has risen. Have you forgotten what he said to you while he was still in Galilee? The Son of Man is destined to be handed over to sinful men, to be nailed to a cross, and on the third day he will rise again. All at once they remembered his words. Leaving the tomb, they went to break the news to the eleven and to all the others of what they had seen and heard. When the disciples heard the testimony of the women, it made no sense, and they were unable to believe what they heard. But Peter jumped up and ran the entire distance to the tomb to see for himself. Stooping down, he looked inside and discovered it was empty. There was only the linen sheet lying there. Staggered by this, he walked away, wondering what it meant. I, um, I was reading from the Passion Translation. Um, there are so many things in that text that jumped out to me, but um, especially stunned and perplexed, unable to believe, and it made no sense. Those are the things that when I was reading it that the Holy Spirit really highlighted to me. Um, you know, after his crucifixion, obviously all of his disciples and the people that loved him were probably full of such overwhelming sorrow and grief, um, confusion. You know, they thought that this was the Messiah that was going to come and, and rescue them from Roman oppression and everything else, and now he's dead, and, and the promise that they believed in, everything they believed in, looked like it was over, and it was dead. And so you know that they were full of sorrow and confusion, and I just love the way the Passion Translation says it. They were stunned and perplexed and unable to believe it. And especially like the part where he said they were unable to believe what they heard because it made no sense. Um, is anybody in a situation where it just doesn't make any sense and you have no idea what in the actual world is God doing, you know? I feel like we have, a lot of us have been in that season. And if you're not in it now, you've probably been in it before. Um, that situation where you're just so confused about what's happening and um, really unable sometimes to even believe the way things have turned out because it doesn't look anything like you thought it was going to look. And I'm sure that's exactly how they felt. Um, a lot of times we're in those situations, and I think the question that we ask ourselves is, why is God even letting this happen? You know, why is this even happening? Not only does it make sense, not only am I hurt and confused and sad, but I don't understand why God is even letting this happen. Several years ago, those of you who know my testimony um, may have heard me share this before, but I was at a job for about 15 years, and I was very successful at that job. I was in construction sales, and it was a family-owned business, and I loved it there. 
and the, the owners were like family to me as well. And um, for about a year, the Lord had been telling me that it was time for me to leave my job and lay that down. And it made no sense. It was when the economy was crashing and people were looking for jobs. And here I was telling my husband, I think I'm supposed to quit my job. And he's like, oh, that ain't the Lord. Get behind me, Satan. You know? But we prayed about it. Um, the Lord dealt with me about it for about a year. I waited six months before I even told John. I mean, that I knew what a big deal that would be. But I knew it made no sense, and I couldn't explain it. I just knew it was the Lord. I knew he was asking me to do that. And um, then I finally told John, I said, just pray about it, because if it's the Lord, he'll convince you as well. And sure enough, um, probably not even three or four months later, the Lord spoke to John, and I came home one day from work, and I was just cooking dinner, going through my day like normal, and John just looks at me in the kitchen, and he's like, um, I think you're supposed to quit your job. Just out of the blue, with no fanfare, no excitement, and I was like, I just looked at him, I was like, okay. And I said, what changed your mind? He said, I just think it's what the Lord wants us to do. And I was like, all right, then I'll do it. And we knew it didn't make any sense, and we didn't know how we were going to make ends meet, and we were scared and confused and perplexed and all these other adjectives that they're using here in the text. But I quit my job the first week of January 2009 was my last week and my last paycheck. And I was home for about two or three weeks, I think. And I um, was just hanging out with the Lord every day. John was leaving for work and I was just standing there at home like, what am I supposed to do? This is so weird. And so I was just hanging out with Jesus in my sunroom and having lots of really good God time. But one day that month in 2009, I got that phone call that nobody wants to get. And I got the phone call from my stepmom that my dad had had a cold and it wouldn't go away. So they went in and got some blood work done and some other tests done and come to find out he had small cell carcinoma, which is a really fast moving cancer. And um, she's like, I said, well, what's he going to do? You know, what are the options with chemo and radiation? And she's like, yeah, he doesn't want to do any of that. Your dad has made up his mind that if it's his time, it's his time. And he's just going to go, my dad is super stubborn. So um, I definitely don't have that trait. So just kidding. <laughs> I totally get that from him. But my dad had made up his mind that he didn't want chemo because they told him it would only extend his life probably for maybe a year and um, that there was really nothing more they could do. So all of a sudden, I found myself packing up and driving 20 hours. Sorry. 20 hours to Mississippi to go be with my dad. And in that time, I had been taking all those classes at church, all the healing classes and the deliverance classes and the prophetic classes, just everything you know that I could take. I was totally on fire for the Lord. And now that I didn't have my job, I was free to take a lot of those classes. So I went down there armed to the gills, you guys, with like healing scriptures and anointing oil and prayer cloths that people had prayed over. And I was doing all this stuff to my dad. And he had come to the Lord um, pretty late in life, but I think that he was kind of tickled by all, all of my, you know, like, okay, today this is what we're doing, Dad, because every day I would get up, and I had, like, a plan. And I recently found my journal. I brought it just to encourage me tonight. But I found my journal 
um, that I took down there with me and that I was using during that time. And you guys, I don't know if you can see this, but um, I had written down like all these scriptures that I felt like the Lord was leading me to, to read over him and to say, and I would make him say them out loud, like every like formula thing I could possibly do. I was doing that. And um, my dad was really patient with me. You know, he was very loving and kind, but I, I could tell that he had made up his mind. The doctors had told him without treatment that he would probably live for another 60 days. So um, I went back and forth between Denver and Alabama, which is where my dad lived for those 60 days, and um, just spent as much time with him as I could. And I honestly, you guys, in my heart, I just knew that God could heal him. Whether my dad wanted to be healed or not, I was determined that he was getting healed, you know. And um, that day came, and sure enough, 60 days to the day that he had gotten his diagnosis, my dad passed away and went to heaven. And um, I remember driving away. He was in hospice the last couple of weeks. And I remember driving away from the hospice just saying to the Lord, like, I don't understand. I did everything that I know to do. I believe that you're our healer. I know that you, by your stripes, we are healed. I believe that. I've seen other people get healed of things. Like, I don't understand why this didn't work. You know, like all my attempts and, and all my prayers. And, and I was just so sad. And I remember just like, it was yesterday the Lord saying to me, Carla, I told you from the beginning that I was with you to bring your daddy home. And I was like, what? And then I remembered in my journal, the day of his diagnosis, I wrote in my journal what I felt like the Lord was saying to me. And the very first thing he said to me is, you are not alone. I am with you in this, this walk to bring your daddy home. He is with me safe with me. I am taking care of him. Enjoy your time with him. It is a precious gift. So then when I realized and looked at it from that perspective, like Jesus was with me the whole time, but he was also with my dad. Because my dad was saved, he was already spending time with the Lord, and I think, especially while he was in hospice, hanging out in heavenly places and getting used to what it's like up there before he completely crossed over to the other side, right? And isn't it just like the Lord to, to speak directly to my heart and tell me exactly in his goodness what he was doing in that situation so that I could look back at it later and see his faithfulness, even in the midst of my grief and confusion and pain and heartache, he had been there with me all along. And when Paula asked me to speak, and I was reading this scripture and realizing that, that he wanted me to talk about this part of Luke, um, he kept reminding me all week. I was telling John, I said, the Lord just keeps bringing my daddy to my mind. He's just reminding me of my dad. And, um, you know, I don't know what that's about. And then I realized that yesterday was the day that my dad passed away nine years ago, and we buried him on the first, which is Easter this year. 
And so I'm like, oh my gosh, like it's the anniversary of his party in heaven. And that's what he kept telling me when he was sick. He's like, I'm going to hang out with Jesus and go hunting and fishing whenever I want. And I'm going to have barbecue and eat whatever I want because he was diabetic the last couple of years of his life, you know. So he was talking about all the stuff he was going to eat. Like, I have never met anybody that was so happy to be going home to be with the Lord than my dad was. So now when I think about it, even over these nine years that he's been gone, I always have a peace about it because I know that's where my dad wanted to be, and I know he had made that decision. And I think out of his goodness and kindness, the Lord just let him have his way, honestly. You know, because my dad was so stubborn. He's like, I'm not doing those cancer treatments. I'm not doing all those tests. I'm done. I'm out of here. I'm going to a better place. And I was like, okay, Dad. But I think there are times in our life when, just like what was going on here in Luke, we're so overcome with sorrow and confusion and we're perplexed and we don't understand what God's doing. And it's not really until we can look back. Like the disciples said right here in verse 8, all at once they remembered his words. All at once they remembered, oh, wait. Jesus told us over and over and over that this was going to happen, that he was going to be falsely accused and he was going to go to the cross and he was going to rise again and we were going to be joined back with him someday and that he's coming again someday for us. And I think that Easter is such a great time for us to remember that God is always with us. He lives on the inside of us and he's coming back someday. And whether it's while we're still here in this body, or like my dad, whether we go to meet him in heaven, either way, he is faithful, and his promise is true. There's another part of the resurrection story that I want to read. Sorry, you guys, I got me choked up a little. I'm a daddy's girl, if you can't tell. Ultimately, our hope is in Jesus. And like I said, until he comes again as he's promised, Christ is the hope of glory that lives within us. We are the ones that carry that hope to the nation. We are the carriers of that hope. And the other account of the resurrection that he, read me, that he had me read this week, because, you know, it's in all four Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and I read them all, but the ones that really stood out to me was Luke 24 and then John 20. So um, if you want to turn in your Bibles to John 20, I just want to read a couple of verses from John 20. We're going to pick up in verse 11. Mary arrived back at the tomb, broken and sobbing. She stooped to peer inside, and through her tears she saw two angels in dazzling white robes sitting where Jesus' body had been laid, one at the head and one at the feet. Dear woman, why are you crying, they asked. Mary answered, they have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. Then she turned around to leave, and there was Jesus standing in front of her, but she didn't realize it was him. He said to her, dear woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? Mary answered, thinking he was only the gardener. Sir, if you've taken his body somewhere else, tell me and I'll go. Mary, Jesus interrupted her. Turning to face him, she said, 
Rabbani, which is Aramaic for my teacher. Jesus cautioned her, Mary, don't hold on to me for now, for I haven't ascended to God my Father. And he's not only my Father and God, but now he's your Father and your God. Now go to my brothers and tell them what I've told you, that I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Then Mary Magdalene left to inform the disciples of her encounter with Jesus. I have seen the Lord, she told them, and she gave them his message. Mary Magdalene was confused and sad and all those other things that we have all felt when something's happening that we don't understand. I mean, this was her savior. This was her friend. Jesus had said about Mary Magdalene that she um, was quite possibly a prostitute and that she was delivered from seven demons. And so talk about freedom. You go from that kind of persecution and oppression to meeting somebody that brings you that freedom and that loves you unconditionally like Jesus did her. Um, she was feeling pretty hopeless. Um, she was overwhelmed with fear and sorrow, so overwhelmed that she didn't even recognize that it was Jesus speaking to her. In the midst of her pain, she didn't even realize that it was Jesus. And I think that that applies to us too, at least I'll speak for myself. When I'm going through something really hard and confusing and painful, and especially you guys, the things that drag out like those things that just make you weary, those are the worst. And when I'm going through something like that, it's really hard to hear his voice. You know what I mean? Like, do you ever just say, if I could just hear him speaking to me, if he would just talk to me, and I feel like what the Lord really wanted me to highlight in this text is he was right there the whole time talking to her, but because of her sorrow and her pain and her confusion, she couldn't even realize it until he said her name until she got quiet enough and realized that it was the Lord and he was standing there and he said her name. And when I was writing this part of it, the Lord said to me, there are people in the room that need to know that I'm saying their name. I'm saying your name in the middle of your circumstance. Jesus is saying your name. He's saying, Paula, I'm right here with you. You are not alone. This season is gonna come to an end. Yes, yes. And Janet, I love you so much. You know, things are going to keep getting better. He calls us by name. Always, always, always. And just like Mary, when he does that, she went from hopelessness in that moment, literal hopelessness, to full-on hope. She was talking to the man of hope, but she had renewed hope instantly in that moment. Jesus is our hope. And there's no better time to remember that and be reminded of that than at Easter, right? Jesus is our hope. Um, you know, I'm even going through some stuff in my ministry where I'm like, I don't understand what God is doing. I don't have a clue what direction it's going to go. Everything that's happening makes no sense to me. And just like Mary, um, it doesn't look anything like I thought it was going to look. It hasn't turned out in any way like I thought it was going to turn out. And now he's putting opportunities in front of me that, that I'm like, Lord, is this you? This, I don't know. You know, what do I do? And I got so worked up and so um, confused. You know, you do the thing where you're laying awake at night and you're just analyzing it and thinking about it. And I just had to get still. And after I read this, I was just like, oh, that's exactly what you're doing for me, Lord. You're reminding me 
that you're in the midst of this situation. And even talking about journaling again, I had written in my journal that for the past several months, the Lord kept saying to me, I'm going to help you. Just that one sentence. And so immediately I'll go to the worst. I'm like, you're going to help me. Is something bad going to happen? You know, I just, and, he, and the Holy Spirit's like, no, that's not what I'm trying to say. So I just kept journaling. I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you. And so then when I was thinking about this situation, this opportunity that he's placed in front of me right now with um, just ministry and stuff, I'm like, Lord, is, I don't know if this is you. I don't know how this would ever work. I don't know how this could happen. And then instantly I remembered that he said, Carla, I've been telling you for weeks and months that I'm going to help you. And this is what I was talking about. And then I was like, Jesus, it is you, you know, just like Mary, I suddenly had hope again. And I just think that's what a lot of us, um, in the midst of any panic or fear or confusion that the enemy tries to bring on us, we just remember that he's our hope and he's got us and he's right there with us. And he's speaking to us all the time, whether we hear it or not, he is talking to us. I don't want to talk too long because I know we're going to do communion. Um, I just want to reiterate what Mary says at the end of this chapter of John. When she realizes it's Jesus, she instantly goes from sad to glad the minute she recognizes him. And then she goes on to tell the other disciples in verse 18, I have seen the Lord. And I felt like tonight when I was writing that, um, I wrote in my notes that that is what the Lord really wants us to get from tonight. And for all of our situations and everything that's going on, I feel like we're coming on the other side of it. And when we do, we're going to be able to say, I have seen the Lord. And we're going to be able to testify to his goodness and to his hope because his hope is in Jesus. Um, so I just think now, as like a prophetic act, we should all say, I have seen the Lord. I have seen the Lord. And I believe that for all of us. I really, really felt his presence on that when I was preparing the message. And I wanted to keep it short because I know it's Easter and we're going to eat together and um, have communion. But when we're doing communion tonight, if you want to pass that out, Paula. Um, when we're doing communion, I think it's especially obviously significant because it is Easter weekend. And like I said, it's the time to be reminded that our hope is in him. 